thing. Welcome everybody to the Genus Brewing live stream. We're uh, on time as always. <laughs> definitely, definitely feeling tip top in shape. Uh, 100%. And about to be another 100%. Um, while we're getting on that, let's go over some Genus Brewing news. We got, uh, well, how are we looking on sounding everybody? If we're looking good, are we sounding good? Um, yeah. Are we tasting good? I definitely heard my slide it in song from over there on the computer, so I think I'm sounding all right there. Maybe you uh, directionalize it just a little bit further. Slide it in, slide it in. Hmm, that's a good rendition of that, actually. I think so. I did yeah. not mind it. I did not mind it. Uh, let's see. What do we got going on? What do we got going on? Well, our delightful uh, man in the chair brought us some coffees this morning. It's man in great. the chair. He's, uh, he's killing that job, doing it so sexily. Um, I, I would confirm that, but there's a giant light where his face is, so he's just, you know, shining bright like the heavens. Shining bright like the diamonds. All right. We did actually end up having some fun reorganization happen this last week, so uh, Josh and Warren spent an overnight trip basically making everything look pretty and good around here. Uh, we've got a lot of new dry yeast in, so I'm really excited because our dry yeast wall over there is stocks loaded, ready to ready to do its thing. Um, the only dry yeast I think we're out of that we normally carry is uh, the Omega's Lutra dry yeast, but that's because people come and buy like 30 of them at a time from us. Son of a gun, we literally just had so many of those. Yeah. Like, someone bought you guys out yesterday. Yeah. I mean, I We had multiple people it. buy like more than 10 at a time. But if you have plans to do that, maybe like send us a message so we can order more. But, you know, keep coming in, buying it, because Lutra is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to complain about uh, selling a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not that big of a deal. It just sucks for the next person who's coming in. You should have been faster. Yep. Uh, or called in order ahead. Or called in order ahead. That, uh, oh, we are slightly blurry. What is the, we're slightly blurry. Yeah. Oh, this is the one. This untitled document. Yeah, I got that one. Got that one pulled up. Uh, do October cans work with the cannular? Um, yeah, actually they should. The cannular should, uh, a random question, just read it. Uh, the cannular, depending on which cannular you have, a cannular can go the 16.9 cans, the 16 can, uh, ounce cans, 32 ounce cans, uh, and even some of the like 10 cans. Anything with a 202 lid. With a 202 lid. That's one of the big things to remember. There are two different types of lid in there. Uh, uh, it looks blurry on my phone. Maybe it's just uh, internet connection. Um, so if it's a 202 lid, yeah, you're good to go. All right. Party time brewing. What's up, everyone? Random question. Oh, that's the one that you just read. That's the one I just, uh, Morning. just read on there. Yeah, cannular made it pretty easy to pretty much accept everything because, you know, that's what they do. Rig Rivs, welcome. Riv Riv Riviera, welcome. And now yeah. we're, you know, now we're. Now, now we're caught up onto that. All right, so uh, we are back on to. Uh, news. We got yeah. all the dry yeasts. Uh, I'm shooting a car video today, BMW X5 2018, so that should be super fun. Um, yeah, I get to take it out. I've been taking pictures of cars on the side. So if you guys want to buy a car or if you guys want to watch a car video, then stay tuned because I have those. 
Food sales. We did a lot of food sales this last week. That's good. That's good. We're picking up on that. Warren's killing it in the kitchen. He's uh, doing some pretty wonderful, delicious things in there. I know he's coming up with some specials and things like that. And people are starting to get a, uh, a hankering for the Warren. I mean, you should, though. I mean, that's one thing. We'll bring Warren on at some time and go watch uh, go watch some of the other videos he's in at least one yeah. uh the blue bear new brew uh blue brew. blue new blue new brews blue new and boob. blue with boobs why is that so hard to say right now speaking brew of boobs noobs. speaking of boobs he's also um making a what's a blueberry it's some kind of blueberry special to go along with our uh blueberry sour yeah uh that is coming up in fact uh as soon as harry and shay get in today uh, I will be going down to kick that up. So we will have that on tap uh, this week. This week. Um, all right. I think that's all it for our news. So that means it's time for our beer of the week. Bum, 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 beer of the week. Boop, boop, woo. And we are talking about mixed fermentation sours. Uh, so there are a lot of different sours kind of-ish categorized in BJCP. That's a really broad category, sours, and so they're not very well categorized. Um, no. But the one we're going to talk about is kind of the most generic one they have. Um, it's not a specific historical sour. It's just a generic mixed fermentation sour, um, generally to include uh, multiple bacterias and or yeasts. Yeah. And that is a very general, broad spectrum on that, and it can include a bunch of different beers. But the big per, uh, part about it is that, you know, it's mixed, fermented. Yeah. You have a mixed stuffs, stuffs fermented. Yep. Overall impression, a sour and or funky version of a base style of beer. Very broad. Appearance is, the, if you go into appearance, the very first thing they say is variable by base style. Clarity can be variable. Some hazes not at fault. Head retention can be poor due to high levels of acid or anti-foam properties of some lactobacillus strains. So, uh, and this isn't just to include lactobacillus bacteria. So there's definitely the, um, that clean, tart, sour acidity um, that comes from... Um, what am, I, what am I saying out loud? Some, that, that clean tart sour acidity that comes from the lactic acid uh, production. Uh, but sometimes it can have a little bit of other bacteria going on. So you can have some funkiness. You can have some, some Saison funkiness or some Brett funkiness. There's a lot of stuff that can go on there. And some of those mm -hmm. will actually eat those longer chain starches. And they'll also munch down some proteins that are going to cause head retention. So in general, head retention isn't a big thing. Uh, especially if you have Brett in there. Britanniomyces is the garbage go to the brewing world. It yeah. eats everything spokane reference for you spokenites yeah go feed what's his chompy go feed chompy downtown is his name chompy i hope it is uh yeah we can call him chompy let's it call him chompa because then he's like uh the, the one guy he's a chompa get to the chompa chompa all right so sometime we have to hide <laughs> a good beer down there and just scream out get to the chompa and somebody goes and finds it yeah uh, you know what might be a good thing maybe if we had a uh a beer mix firm sour to taste along with with this. With if we, this you know, on the, the on the occasion that we had a on the occasion that there was a sour available for maybe, us to try, maybe. maybe. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, aroma on that varies by base style. The contribution of non-saccharomyces microbes Woo! should be noticeable to strong often contribute to a sour and or funky wild note. The best examples will display a range of aromatics rather than a single dominant character. 
The aroma should be inviting, not harsh or unpleasant. And that's actually something to uh, note in there that it should be inviting, not harsh or uh, unpleasant in any way. Uh, some of the flavor and scent esters and phenols and molecules and stuffs. Um, what, yeah. what they give off is not always like the best singular by themselves. Yeah, sometimes it's giant barfy or buttery and or buttery and barfy and then it's, you know, it just kind of hits you over the face with a lot of sourness, but then you're like, but why did I taste it in the first place? Yeah, why did why did I do that? I mean, there's some of them that say you can crush that are literally just cans of barf and I don't know why people drink them. Yeah, they they, they say uh, you can crush them. Um they say, they say you can watermelon crush them. They say you can, you know, cucumber crush, crush them. them. Uh, um, yeah, but some of those beers, I don't know why they're made in the first place. I mean, I haven't had one in years, so they might have gotten better, but full of butyric acid. Don't drink butyric acid. Yeah. But that's something to know in there is that a small percentage of butyric acid in a mixed firm beer coupled with all of those other flavors will go from having that little bit of barfiness when it's overpowering to being extremely delicious and congruent and amazing when it has all of the other supporting characters going on. One of the things that Tim does really well is uh, with our sour IPAs that he does, um, he has a very subtle sour aroma that kind of pops off with it. And it's like a sweet sour, um, which really leans into, usually it's juicy hops that we're adding to it, and usually it's fruited in some, some sense too. So it meshes in with all those flavors that we're trying to get, rather than being like a thwack over the face. Yeah, a sour beer doesn't need to just have acid. For me, it needs to have complexity on that. And it's really Even if hard. it is just a kettle sour. Yeah. And it's hard to describe some of the mixed firm sours sometimes. I uh, liken it to describing blue cheese. Most of the things you're describing don't sound pleasant until you all have them in congruent harmony with each other. And then it's amazing. Having a super horse blanket alfalfa beer with just a little bit of that kind of like stinky cheese funkiness on the nose doesn't sound pleasant but it is absolutely amazing when you have it in balance in uh these mixed firm beers yeah so. it's like your first time eating truffles you're just like oh yeah first time eating blue cheese kimchi all those things you know it's funk and all the right funkiness yeah. uh, so right now we're tasting nimrod from black project it is a spontaneous fermentation wild ale um Ooh. and it is a sour ale with plum and sweet cherry uh, I am going to make the notion here that it said wild ale, not a mix from sour or anything like that. Wild ale doesn't even mean that they went out and got it wildly infected. It does mean that they went out and found a wild strain of yeast that they did not get from any producer and then chucked it in that beer. Wild ales can be very funky. They can be very sour. They don't actually need to be. Some wild ales can be really clean if you harvest the right yeast for that. Mm -hmm. uh, doesn't always denote sour and funky, but great yeast. And that's actually something that a lot of mixed firm beers take uh, advantage of is using wild yeast and bacteria. Mm. It is delicious. Uh, mm. All right, so let's go on to flavor. Okay. Again, a lot of this is going to be variable based by style, uh, but look for an agreeable balance between the base beer and the fermentation character. The range of results is possible from fairly high acidity funk due to a subtle, um, to a subtle pleasant harmonious beer. I don't know why that was hard to say. It can be really, really sour and obtrusive, or it can be just a little bit, you know. It feels like they reversed that. They went from high to low instead of low to high. Yeah. On that, and that felt that felt a little awkward. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, it's definitely their fault, not mine. 
I, I know how to read. I've you read, definitely I've read go low to high, not high. To, I mean, actually, you could reverse those in any time. Yeah, you can go from to, low to high or um, high to low, and you can reverse either one of those. I, I, I mean, maybe both at the same time. Uh, the wild character can be prominent, but does not need to be dominating in a style with an otherwise strong malt or hop profile. Acidity should be firm, yet enjoyable, um, but should not be biting or vinegary. So we're, we're, we're getting rid of the pedio, or not the pedio, the um, acetobacter fact, the acetobacter factor. Yeah, which can be really delicious in some certain styles like Flanders Red. Yeah. Needs a little bit of that vinegar in there, but you're not making malt vinegar. You're getting it in balance. Yeah. Somebody make a, a shirt, an Acetobacter Factor shirt. Acetobacter Factor? Why don't we just make it? That's true. Shay, Shay, get here. Shay will be here later today. It's true. Bitterness tends to be low, especially as sourness increases. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, actually, that's a that's a really interesting to know thing to note here too is that when you put hops with acids, it no longer really becomes bitter. Um, the acid really jumps up the fruity characteristics, the citrusy characteristics out of it, and can really strip out a lot of bitterness uh, from the hops, which is really cool and really fun. That's why sour IPAs are really fun when you do them right. Um, but that, that's also a thing to note. And these beers shouldn't be overly bitter anyway. Yeah. My opinion, in a mixed from beer, you're using hops to control bacteria rather than anything for flavor. Yep. Yeah. Mouthfeel. Variable based on style, generally a light body, almost always lighter than could be expected from the base style. Like we explained before, especially with mixed firms, the acidity is going to soften that down. And if you've got some other bacterias kind of chomping in there, they're going to break oh. down some starches that will fluff the beer up. Uh, generally moderately high carbonation, although often lower in uh, in higher al lower carbonation in higher alcohol examples. Um, if you're doing something in that four to six percent range, that high carbonation really uh, pops the acidity. It pops the effervescent kind of feel on your tongue, and it really can transform a relatively boring beer into a really exciting uh, exciting beer for a low alcohol, I would call like sessiony kind of beer. Yeah. Along with that, generally you have some form of Britanniumyces in this, and like I said, Brett eats everything. So, so if it's in a bottle. If you put it in a bottle and have not killed off the Britanniumyces, it'll it'll eat acids, it'll eat other yeast, it'll eat sugars, it'll eat proteins. Uh, it eats absolutely everything, and will continue to carbonate that. So as you keep it over time, it'll yeah. be much more champagne. Like. Yeah, and I think eventually it just starts eating dark matter and turns into a black hole. So uh, depending it, on how long you leave the bread, it does some, some cool it, things. I would not doubt bread. <laughs> that's proud. That might be, you know, just how black holes are uh, created. Brett gets so. sits around too long. Is like, you know what? I got nothing else to eat. Let me eat on the you munch on the uh, fabric of the universe. Yeah, no. exactly. And then yeah, supernovas. Uh, supernovas get jealous and they're like, oh man, now my brew house is infected. And then the nearby supernovas are gonna just. You know, you can't stop you it can't at that stop point. It. All right, now that the siren's gone, uh, it, where is this bottom? Inappropriate. Oh, dang it. It's okay. He's a small guy. He's chasing after the truck like, I got this, buddy. Yeah. I got a pail of water and a bottle in the truck. Anyway, <laughs> uh, 
Inappropriate characteristics include uh, diacetyl, solvent, ropey, viscous, texture, and heavy oxidation. Mm-hmm. Uh, some oxidation is actually really nice. Something, especially Brett, will work with that and turn it into some, some delicious flavors. Micro-oxygenation, not heavy oxygenation on there. You don't want to over-oxygenate anything after it's fermented. Uh and that's also the deal. You're fermenting with a whole bunch of stuff, so it's really easy for one of them to get out of hand. You're trying to keep a whole colony of stuff alive, up, and healthy. So Yeah. No soy sauce, no wet cardboard, none of that. Mm, no, 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 no. Modern American craft beer interpretations of Belgian sour ales or experimentations inspired by Belgian sour ales. And that's that, right. Yeah. Pretty Go America. Much. We invented the world. Mm. Yeah, uh, style comparison, a sour, funky version of the base style. Um, like, all right, yeah, there's there is so much that goes on to this, like we talked about it. Uh, it's mixed fermenting a base style of beer, so that could go anywhere from a Kolsch style base all the way up into an imperial stout style base. And if you haven't had it, I do recommend finding some Vlad the Impaler or Bourbonic Plague from a Cascade uh, Barrel House in Portland, Oregon. Absolutely incredible, big, dark sours. Um, And I know there's a lot of other really, really good ones out there, too. But that's that's actually something people need to do more is more dark sours. Yeah. Jolly Pumpkin. Calablava, Mm. blablabla. Calabaza Blanca. Oh, and the Tart of Darkness. Tart of Darkness is one of oh, that was my yeah. first, my first entry into a dark sour, and I've never found one. I've never found one as good since then. Like I thought they were all going to be good after trying that one, and mm-hmm. then the rest of them were kind of. Meh. That's a. I would honestly say that's probably the hardest version of a sour to make is a dark sour. The flavors in there you can just get way out of hand if you're not careful with it, mm-hmm. uh, and some of them are so so good on that. Uh, but mix firm. Uh, so, talking about mix firm. Talking about mix firm. And let's talk about basics on what you're going to find in there, what you can use uh, to create some of these beers. And like the uh, BJCP says there, these. Wow, something really must be. They sent both trucks. Uh-oh. Wow. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Yet. Uh, anyway. Um, so, uh, they're based on, uh, Amer- a lot of these are based on American interpretations of, uh, mixed firm or regional Belgian styles that we found, uh, you know, be that, uh, Lambic or Goose, Flanders, Reds, Old Bruins, uh, most of it though is going to be kind of based on Lambics and Goose because that's one of the easiest things to get a hold of. Uh, and so in that. Now, granted, Belgians have been working on these things for so long, they generally have hundreds of different bacteria and yeast working in their brew house and getting after it. But the main thing that you're going to find in here is going to be a Saccharomyces strain, your normal beer fermenting strain, a Britannomyces strain, which is going to give you the super funky goodness that's in there and a whole lot of sourness if you let it. And then generally one or two forms of a uh, lab or a lactic acid bacteria, usually a lactobacillus in there. And then depending on what you're making, you can go 
through the gamut of a couple of other different things like a pediococcus or even a tiny touch of acetobacter. Mm -hmm. Halcyon, probably. Something super high in protein. -y. We'll get into a little bit of that uh, in a second yeah. in, your, in your malts there, because that's actually something that's super important for what is inevitably going to be a long aging beer. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there are, there are quick ways to do it too, depending on the base style. But yeah, in general, if you want a time to get the the natural fermentation ease um, from a long aging, then you yeah, get a long age, and there's that's a good way. To, there's a lot of good flavors that come from that, so do it. Yeah, do it. Uh, oh, Stefan Studemeyer mentioned Solara. Yeah, we'll get we'll get into that in, in a second there too. So a quick breakdown on some of those yeast, Britanniumyces in a mixed firm beer. What a lot of us are really looking for is a lot of that Britanniumyces character going on in it. There's uh, quite a few different forms of Britanniumyces out there. They do do different things. <laughs> you, they do do. I said do do. Uh, but I'm like, what did I say? Do you? <laughs> um, so they, uh, they do different things, uh, just like uh, Saccharomyces. We're discovering different ones all the time. Uh, basically, what you should know about what's most readily available is Brett Lambicus. Uh, Brett Lambicus is what's traditionally found in a lot of Lambics. going to be super funky, and most of the time, some uh, deep, dark, like leathery uh, cherry pie notes. Uh, Brett Bruxanellis, I think Sierra Nevada has a beer out just called B-R-U-X Brux uh, in there. And that's Brett Bruxanellis on it. You get some really good funkiness out of that. You get some good pineapples. And then uh, Brett C or Clausinaceae, which is going to be the most sour out of them generally with the highest fruit coming out of it. Uh, let's see. Lacto was that, was that Brux or was that, or was that Sierra Nevada or is that different? I thought that was a different California brewery. I thought it was Sierra Nevada. I bought it from you. Brux. Brux. Just literally Brux. I'm thinking like Green Flash or... No, it wasn't Green Flash. In, my, in the back of my mind. Dang See? it. I knew that and said that out loud and, and Tim was wrong. I, I would, <laughs> well, it's also was a little bit surprising and it took me a long time to buy one of those bottles, but I finally did. And it was yeah. so dank, pineapple funky. It was amazing. Yeah, I remember the beer. It was good. Oh, oh man. Yeah. Oh, collab with who? Yeah, oh, uh, that's right. Okay, yeah. That's probably uh, that's where my brain was. I mean, I th I think it, I was gonna say it might be a collab on that. And that's why it, it made it up here. Like I probably bought it because of the Russian River, because mm -hmm. Russian River doesn't distribute up here. And I was like, oh no way, we can get something we with Russian River's name Russian on River. it. Yeah, well, a long time ago, Washington made uh, Vinny mad from Russian River about the way he wanted to distribute, which is a hundred percent fair. Uh, and so he said, no more Washington, or no more uh, Russian River in Washington, and we're sad. Vinny, please come back. Don't let the state jerks stop you. Come back to us. Or just send us beer, please. Everyone tag him in a tweet and tell them to distribute <laughs> beer to Washington. Right. Uh, let's see. Uh, going into lab, lactic acid bacteria is the most common one you're going to run across is lactobacillus. There's a bunch of different forms of lactobacillus out there. We'll get into a couple of them that make it easy for home brewing just a little bit later in this. Uh, most of the time you're going to run across uh, Delbrucki and Buchneri uh, in some of your kind of more funky lactobacillus. And then uh, Plantarum and Brevis is going to be a little bit more clean, uh, a little bit more soft lactic acid in there. Yeah, some uh, subtle fruit notes come off of those, Yeah, especially little, Plantarum. Yeah, Plantarum is... Uh, 
yeah, wonderful, wonderful lactobacillus that you can get from almost anything, anywhere. Good belly, that's the plantarum. It ferments at a really low temperature, so it's a little bit safer. I digress. We'll get into that in a sec in, yeah. in our topics. Um, Greg H. Uh, saved a yeast cake from a mixed fermentation quike, plantarum berliner. Will the yeast cake uh, still have the lacto? Um, mm. Kind of depends. How uh, old is it? Yeah, how old is it? How much alcohol is in there? Um, obviously, a berliner is not going to have any hops, so you don't have to worry about that. But uh, well, yeah. it shouldn't anyway. Yeah. It's, uh, we'll I wouldn't it. count on it. I mean, yeah. I'd just get a fresh pitch. Plantarum super cheap. Just the, get some good belly. The quake will probably be in there and it'll move so fast that, uh, you're not really going to have any lacto impact. I would say, especially at a bottling stage. So just, yeah. just get yourself some new lacto. It's super easy and cheap to get a hold of most of the time. Uh, all right, let's get into the, uh, the topic and then we can kind of get to some more questions as they come up. Um, the topic today is the easiest beer to make all grain and uh so we make a lot of sours we make kettle sours a lot and so that kind of mm -hmm. kind of crosses over because we do kettle sours as a mixed firm meaning we co-pitch um and our process behind that is basically we do our mash we run out our mash through our chiller into our fermenter um but we don't um, even chill it all the way so we're not limited by how fast we can chill we can really just run it straight into there usually ends up in our fermenter and this is on the big scale so we have a uh, um it's, it's a lot nicer, it's a lot more time-saving for us because it would normally take over an hour just to transfer. Yeah. Um, but we can run it right into our fermenter um, at above 130 degrees, um, or even you know, on the homebrew scale, you could probably run it into your fermenter like you know, all the way hot and keep your fermenter sanitized that way. You can don't, also do this in a barrel. Yeah, don't, don't put near boiling liquid into a plastic fermenter, please, and don't thermal shock your glass, please. Yes, those are yeah, two but, words of warning. But if you have stainless, Good to go. Yeah, you're good to go on that. Uh, you throw it in. Uh, we generally wait till it drops down to about 120, uh, and then either throw in our uh, mix of lactose or raw grain. Generally, the raw grain is going to be acidulated malt because the Germans spray a plethora of lacto uh, bacterias on top of it to uh, sour that malt. It's a beautiful, beautiful source for. Mycelia but. and lactobacillus, and it's a bunch of different ones. So you got a lot yeah. of lactic acid-producing bacteria working for you. And the first one you said is not a lactobacillus. That it's something it, we still call it a lab, L-A-B, lactic acid bacteria, uh, or lactic acid-producing bacteria. On that, it's not all lactobacillus. Lap B. Now we call it lap. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so, and then uh, with, on the homebrew scale, if you do go in at that warm temperature, um, one of the nice things is with the, uh, the, the, the sturdiness and the production of quike at high temperatures, you can really get the beer done with, you know, with not very much waiting time on the homebrew scale by co-pitching um, your, your quike at when it gets down to 100 degrees or 95 degrees or 105, kind of depending on what you're aiming for. Um, or you can just wait overnight and... Uh, pitch whatever in the morning but i like quite because quite gets the job done fast and then uh, if you were in addition to do something um where you wanted to do a long age mix firm you can also co-pitch anything after the fermentation's done like a rose layer blend or a, mm. um or all the brett's or Brett. suburban brett whatever you want to do and then all of a sudden shabam you have a mix firm shower yeah and technically once you throw that quike in there you are making a mix firm sour uh, what we're describing doing the raw beer style is not actually a kettle sour style. This is a little bit different than kettle sour, and we'll talk about that a, se uh, a second. 
but this is not a kettle sour. It is mixed firm. You have two or three different things working on it. What may just be a lactic acid producing bacteria, but it's still mixed fermented in that way. And this produces a much more layered, complex sour than just the straight up kettle sour on that. Yeah. Going back to the lactic acid, uh, or lactic, uh, lactobacillus question that was ha we had earlier, we do expect once they are uh, both in there at the same time that there will be some competition. And generally speaking, the yeast is going to beat out the lactobacillus. Lactobacillus is kind of a weenie in most cases. Uh, plantarum is kind of a oh. exception because plantarum can keep working while um, another yeast is going. And plantarum also works at lower temperatures, works at higher acidity or at higher uh, alcohol, things like that. Uh, but for the most part, your even plantarum, your your lactic acid producing bacteria is going to start to die out once you have another yeast acting on it, because those yeasts will be competitive. Diego Mendez, I hope that helped a little bit. Diego Mendez asks, what about the quite strains that also have lactic acid bacteria? There are actually a few. Uh, most quite strains are a mix of bacterias and yeast in there. They've been growing up with each other for so long um, that. Is this the right one, Jimmy? Uh, that's a Sourwise. Yeah. So Jimmy was saying it's a Quike. He's a Saison with an original Quike culture with bacteria. Uh, so we might have drank it already. Uh, anyway, those things have been working together for a long time, and they do work in conjunction together. Uh, specifically, if we're going to go right back to, uh, what was it, Greg H. on there, when you reach a bottling, and uh, I'll hopefully get back onto this a little bit it let me drop this right now if you guys want any really nice concise hard data what has live cultures what works together where things come from uh milk the funk wikipedia is an amazing resource there's a uh, keep in mind a lot of that stuff is like scientific lab research uh but those guys do a pretty good job of keeping it good accurate and up to date for some more in-depth stuff but anyway, beyond that, uh, yes, please. Uh, beyond that, um, so the quike and the lactic acid bacteria that generally come together have been working together in conjunction for a while. Uh, they can work simultaneously. La uh, lactic acid bacteria generally works very quickly and works before any yeast get up and going most of the time, but like Peter said, once yeast starts to get going, the lactic acid generally falls to the side, or the lactic bacteria gets falls to the side just because it is a weenie. It is a big, big weenie. Giant, just a huge weenie. It'll, it doesn't mean that it stops. Uh, it can continue to ferment along with the yeast in there, uh, and that's actually something Quike is very good at doing. A lot of those uh, blends are very good at co-fermentation. Um, but at the bottling point, the lacto is probably dead because it is such a weenie. And so if it's in the bottle, it may not, it probably isn't alive anymore. Caleb Janisich, um, Janisich, Janisich, one of those two. Good belly is plantarum, which I found likes lower temperatures, 90 degrees Fahrenheit or so. Uh, yeah, plantarum is the, the one, that's a good note because you don't necessarily want plantarum to be pitched when, uh, when you're up at 105. Um, it can be fine at 105. It's not going to die or anything like that, but you don't want to be keeping it up there. So uh, I like to do that if I'm letting it free fall, um, which I do for most of my homebrew size batches because I don't like putting a heater on my fermenters. So 
that one plantarum is the one that can also go down and work as low as 70 degrees too yeah uh, all right well, we were on our process of the co-fermentation we were talking about the co-fermentation not being or uh, being mixed fermentation not being kettle souring right. let's talk a little bit about uh why the rawness actually really helps which yeah. will kind of go into <clears throat> a little bit of malt selection and base malt selection mm -hmm. doing for uh yeah, let's talk about the match a little bit. Uh, actually, that's going to – sorry, uh, Jimmy J uh, has a great question on that, and that's actually kind of what we're going to talk a little bit. He listened to a podcast where they recommended a full-length boil before souring to avoid issues with off flavors, then short reboil uh, when killing and hopping. Thoughts? Uh, you described a kettle sour. Actually, now that I read that through all the way, you described a little bit of a kettle sour. And if you don't boil it, this is actually one of the reasons that we don't we like to not boil. There is a little bit of a danger of more off flavors because you haven't coagulated any of the proteins. But why are the proteins important? The proteins are important for a couple of reasons. Uh, one of the reasons is going to be uh, the free amino nitrogens are going to affect uh, ester production during um, uh, during fermentation, uh, the proteins are also going to continually, if you're doing a proper mixture with a culture like Rosalera that's got Brett, it's got Petio, and it's got everything going on, you're going to start to get into a cyclical fermentation, uh, by which I mean um, you're going to have your primary muncher, um, your, your Saccharomyces strain that's going to be the first out of the gate. It's going to get some alcohol made. It's going to produce some off flavors. You're going to have some intermediary products like... Uh, um, acetaldehyde and stuff like that that are all going to be present. Um, some random esters that are going to be made. And then you're going to have your secondary fermenters, which are your brets that are going to take some of those intermediate products and break those down into alcohol. Then you're going to have petio that can eat both products of the alcohol combined with certain proteins and actually eat the alcohol and turn it into different products. And then you kind of get into this cyclical where different yeasts and bacteria are doing different things at different times. Um, and the proteins kind of act as a catalyst, not a literal catalyst, cause, I mean, even though they're proteins, that's getting into too much, but they kind of act as a catalyst. They're like constant food for the cycle. So they're not really in the beer, but them being available makes different things happen during the fermentation. So you can have all these different bacterias working, um, bacteria and yeast working kind of in that cycle motion. So a proper mix firm or Solera, like even that was mentioned before, that proper Solera, um, it relies on some proteins being present. Uh, and you'll have times where if you were to pull off your Solera, it's gonna taste bad. And there's times where if you pull off your Solera, it's gonna taste great. And those can go back and forth, so. Yeah, uh, especially yeah. in mixed firm beers, that is something that I love to have. I love to have chunkies in there. I love to have big, thick proteins unferment unfermentable sugars uh by the uh, that i mean the more complex sugars in there because especially the britanniumyces is really going to start to break things apart which allows all the other bacterias and yeast to really munch on a whole bunch of different aspects in there uh and it provides a much more layered complex beer uh, that is also something that we do in the raw, just the lactosac uh, mix fermentation on there. We do it in the raw. We do it in the raw. Just because uh, we love the extra thickness and also the extra food for everything to work on. But realizing that it's going to do that, we also provide the right lacto-producing bacterias and the right yeast that can help clean that up. Now, to kind of secondarily touch That's back nice on, on uh, Jimmy's question, um, 
realistically, a lot of the a lot of the um, risks of of doing a raw ale that people are trying to avoid by doing a boil, cooling down, and then bringing back up to a boil. Um, they're actually coming from a couple different big myths in the home brewing sector. One of them being the DMS myth, um, which if you have a good grain selection, if it's a properly, if it's a highly modified malt, it's just not actually a risk unless it's uh, been oxidized during storage. So that means it might have DMSO in it. Um, the other one is actually kind of created in the same cycle uh, of heating and cooling. Um, and that is uh, the, I mean, one of them is the risk of bacteria, but the bacteria, if you're doing a mash, especially if you do a mash out temp up to 170, uh, you're, there's no bacteria that's going to survive. Even a full mash at 150, uh, 150 for an hour is still pasteurizing temperatures. So that's not an issue. Um, and most everything that can infect your beer has a thermal death of 115 to 120. Yeah. So it's really not a risk. Uh, it's just a matter of how long you want to do your mash and what the time is. That said... One of the fun things about uh, doing a raw ale, especially doing a raw ale, single infusion, is you can get the mash done probably in less than 30 minutes. And you can do everything quick and dirty. You can do a pseudo-turbid mash by just stirring your mash up, letting all the gunk run into your fermenter. And then if you're doing it like a Solera, where you're adding a mixed firm culture like Rosalaire, then it's just going to take care of it for, its, for, you, for you. Like it's just, you don't, like a heavy Vorloff isn't needed. A lot of the things that you're thinking uh, that you need for a good clear beer, that commercial quality beer you get on the homebrew scale, just isn't really needed. So... This is a really fun style to do because you can do it quick and dirty. You can be like, all right, I'm mashing in. I'm going to have this beer fermenting in an hour. Yeah. Uh, no, Jimmy, the beer we're drinking is definitely not yours, and it does definitely not taste like that. Um, I, it does not taste like that. Yeah. Uh, we might have already drank it. Matt didn't see your beer. Uh, I think see your beer. Tim took it home and drank it yeah. by himself without me. Maybe. Uh, so, uh, so we were describing the raw beer. We we're describing why we like that, uh, why we picked Halcyon for base malt. Uh, it's also, uh, that's the reason there, because it's a bigger, puffier, meatier grain. It has a, a higher protein content to it. There's more stuff than your basic two-row. Uh, I also, in so when we're picking that, I always like to include a big meaty puffy grain in there somewhere. If it's not going to be a big base malt like that, uh, then I like to include wheat in there. Oats can get a little bit dangerous because of their high oil content. And sometimes the high oil content and some of the funky flavors can come across rancid. Um, so oats are not always the best one for big meaty fluffiness, but wheat is amazing. Flaked barley, flaked wheats. You can flaked oats have a little bit less danger than full oat malt for that. Um, a bunch of those adjuncts in there. If I'm not using that, I probably am using a uh, Pilsner as a base malt actually. Uh, again, it's got a little bit higher protein content into it than your base two row does. Uh, the high diastatic power uh, for it is also, as well as I'm looking for the low flavor impact. You are not going to have a bunch of flavor impact by your base malt because the mix firm is going to eat everything unless you're doing something like a kettle sour. Um, kettle sour will change that a little bit. And the question that Jimmy J had a little bit before where he's uh, talking about a boil, uh, sour it, bring it back for a second boil, killing everything off, and then hopping. Uh, that is what is called a kettle sour. So basically what you're going to be doing on a kettle sour at that point is keeping 
after you mash, you pull off your liquid off. You keep it in the right temperature range for the, lacto, uh, the lactic bacteria to work on that. And then you pull it out of the fermenter back into your boil kettle, bring it up to a boil to kill off anything that is working and fix the amount of acid and sourness that is in there, as well as adding any other hops and things like that for boil. Brilliant way to do sour IPAs. In fact, that's the way you have to do sour IPAs on that. It's a great way to fix the amount of sourness in there. Uh, it does limit the amount uh, of complexity that you can get from a sour, though. Uh, I will say that. And there, I mean, you also are on the risk of losing some alcohol. And I mean, there's another butyric acid risk present when you're doing that uh, as a as a true kettle sour. Um, uh, one of the things that you uh, run the risk of, though, is actually um, if you don't choose your lactobacillus strain correctly, um, or if you just throw acid malt in to sour um, for a kettle sour, there are uh, co-fermenters. There are um, lactic acid producing bacteria that will produce both lactic acid and alcohol, so they'll actually start fermenting your beer. So your efficiency in terms of how much alcohol you get can be compromised as well. Yeah. Uh, it's a, but again, it's a great way to fix the amount of alcohol, and it is the way that we do our uh, <clears throat> sour IPAs because it's just kind of the way you have to do it on there. Uh, and if you don't want to mess around with a lot of different stuff at home, that's a pretty darn good way to do it. Stefan uh, Stadermeyer, I want to explain Solera real quick. Solera yeah. is where you have one um, continuously fermenting vessel. Uh, for us, it's a barrel. And uh, you have multiple bacteria going into your barrel or your vessel if it's a carboid or a you know, conical or whatever. Um, doesn't really matter. Um, but uh, you never stop fermenting in your Solera. So what that means is if you pull off a part, if you start pull off a keg of your Solera, then you just kind of retop it off with either fresh beer or fresh wort. One of the two things. Either one can work. Yeah. Uh, the slur in the basic sense in all the alcohol worlds is you have a continuous line of product. Uh, I th wow, which one is it? Is it brandy, cognac? I don't remember. Uh, maybe wine? No, not wine. Might be cognac. I don't know. Anyway, you start with a cast that's super old. And then you have different casts or different barrels that are younger from that. And you pull off of the old one and you just move everything down the line so everything continues to be mixed and to age within itself. In the beer world, in the souring world, as uh, Solera and what Peter was talking about, is you have a barrel that is always continuously fermenting. Whether that barrel is always continuously fermenting, you pull it off and put it into other things to continue to ferment, you are always replacing what you pull off of it. It is never dry. There is always beer in it and always fermenting. It's a really fun, fun project to work with because the Solera barrel is always going to be changing and evolving, and it's never going to be the same. It's super cool. Um, Aaron Baratsamium. How much acid malt would you use? I'm guessing you are going back to when we were talking about using acid malt as your lactic acid producing bacteria pitch. Um, for a five gallon batch, three pounds is fine. Yeah. Uh, all right, we did the kettle sours. We did- uh, And yes, bagged. And bagged, yes. Uh, we did that good stuff. Uh, 
Shoot, there were a few things we were going to talk about. Matt, keep us on track. Did you write anything down? Nocturnal, I'm going to answer a couple questions. Nocturnal brewers, there's a significant difference between Quaker oats and brewing oats. Uh, depends on what type you mean on brewing oats. If you're meaning the rolled or flaked oats, no. Quaker oats are the same thing as rolled or flaked oats. Yep. The exact same thing. If you're talking about oat malt, then yeah, there's a big difference because one's pre-gelatinized and one's not. But I assume what you're meaning is the rolled or flaked. And yet, if you don't have access to those, just go buy some Quaker Quick Oats. Yeah, they were they were just fine. They're a little more expensive, but same darn thing. On same that. concept. We talked about mash. We talked about bacteria. We talked about why it's a brewing hack and makes your life really easy because you can do probably honestly you could probably do an entire all grain brew day in less than an hour if you do what we're talking about right yeah it's an incredibly awesome and simple thing to do okay um since uh we're kind of on that oh yeah uh pudding war war rum does a bunch of solaris stuff um that is true and that's probably actually what i'm thinking of is rum and Matt, what's next? the way that the rum does it is exactly how i described there's a super old barrel you yeah, you pull stuff off of it and you just keep moving it down the barrel line so everything just gains super complexity. Okay, some yeast blends. Some yeast blends that we have mentioned today. Uh, let's throw a couple of those out there, what they are, what they do, and maybe how long you have to wait, especially with some of these mixed firm beers. It's going to be a little bit different on how long you're going to actually have to wait for some of these things to be done. That's something that we should mention here. Time is your best friend while making mixed firm beers. Rosalaire, at least a year. At least a year. We keep talking about Rosalaire. What is Rosalaire? Rosalaire is actually uh, the mixed firm culture that Rodenbach Brewery uses from Belgium. And it needs at least a year. A year to get done and get going. I prefer somewhere between two to three before full complexity uh, is reached for Rosalaire for me. Uh, Rosalaire does have something that we haven't mentioned uh, yet. It does have a Pedococcus strain in there. Pedio does. I'm going to call it Pedio just so nothing gets slipped. Yeah, uh, pediophile. Yeah, right. Uh, Pedio uh, is very different. And earlier when we mentioned they're a ropey uh, or viscous texture, this is what Pedio does. When it starts fermenting, it's, it gets very thick and slimy. You can almost pick the beer up. It's amazing but disgusting all at the same time. Uh, Brett, that is a great point. Uh, sometimes the beer gets called sick at that point because it, it's runny and viscous uh beautiful pedio's creating some really wonderful acids in there it creates some uh bigger harsher acids than the lactic uh, acids will be the lactic acid producing bacteria will produce and then brett will come along behind it and start eating the pedio and breaking up those long chains and turning it back into delicious beer uh so PDO's needed in there. That's basically what I'm trying to say. It's amazing. It adds a little bit more apple character. It produces a lot of malic acid. Uh, I don't remember the other acid it produces. It's softer. I don't. But it produces more intense acids than the lactic acid in there. But at the same time, it's not going to burn your face out like Acetobacter will. Rosalera is amazing. Uh, we talked about all the Bretts. All the Bretts is from Omega. Omega has a line of Brett packages uh, that is a singular Bretts to a 
couple of Bretts mixed to all the Bretts, which is 11 different strains of Britanniomyces mixed together, always rotating, always changing. Uh, that's a fun one to use for mixed firm beers on there because you're getting the full gamut of Brett. You want to give Brett time though. Brett takes time. Uh, most of the time. If you use it as a primary fermenter, it takes, you know, probably a good six weeks. Yeah, and usually you want to also kind of manipulate temperature too. I've found, well, with Brett Brooks, or my favorite strain of Brett Brooks, which is the one from Y Yeast. By the way, yeah. Brett Brooks isn't always the same Brett Brooks. There's still it's a lot of. Not at all. Yeah, it's, uh, kind of, yeah, it's kind of like saying like beer is, or yeast is yeast. I mean, Saccharomyces cerevisiae, Saccharomyces cerevisiae. There's a lot of subtle, nuanced genetic changes um, that, uh, that happen to make them different. But that is, I digress. Yeah. Um, yeah. You might want to play with temperature. I like Brett Brooks at 85 ish degrees. I like it to ferment warm if you're going to get a quick funkiness off it's of it. A, and that's another thing with Brett. The cooler Brett is allowed to work. So if you cellar a beer that's bottled with Brett, it'll age into funkiness uh, in the cooler side or it'll go into sourness on the warmer side. So when Brett is fermenting, the warmer it is, the more acids it'll produce. The cooler it is, the more funk it's going to produce but that's also strain dependent on it. If I remember right, it's, yeah, uh, White Labs Brett Lambicus and Yeast Brett Brux, Brux and Ellis, are the same thing. They're the same strain of yeast, but between the two, they just called it, I may it be different on there. White Labs Brett Brux is somebody else's Brett Lambicus. And I know that, and it's weird because Brett is still not super well understood uh, or genused out into all the different strains because it's a wild animal. It's a garbage goat. That's a wild animal. Yeah, uh, all that. Suburban Brett. Suburban Brett comes from uh, Imperial. That's a really awesome Brett to use for uh, quick souring quick brett it normally is very expressive in about six months the quickest that i know out of most strains in there most uh blends suburban brett used to be a blend but now i'm pretty sure it's just brett bruxinellis uh it is brett bruxinellis that's the main dominant strain of brett in there and i believe it's single strain now instead of a multiple pitch which is fine it's awesome sour batch kids if you can get a hold of it is brett brux and a lactose strain as well as a sack strain in there so that's a really nice blend to use it's an imperial it's also a very quick souring strain in there uh, so that's pretty awesome to use as well yeah. oh you already said sour batch kids I had sour batch kids that's uh yeah that one we got that one is uh, also not as funky and not as, in my mind, just not. We haven't used it a ton, so I can't speak for everybody that's used it, but we haven't gotten as much fun maturity off Sour Batch Kids as we've gotten off Rosalaire. Rosalaire's still been our favorite mm, long term yeah. aging sour blend. Rosalaire for me is so soft and complex and beautiful. Sour Batch Kids can really get high. It's, it's kind of the difference between me, between Belgian mix firms and American mix firms. Uh, Sour Batch Kids gets really high acid and aggressive acidity quick, which is really delicious. But Rosalaire gets super complex and soft, but it also needs like three years to do that. So, Michael Noonan, off topic, thinking a no of no crush on the mash and mashing for 24 hours, last 23 hours at 152. Any thoughts if 24 hours would solve the no crush conversion issue? Um, 
Probably not. I think you'd have a better chance of just doing a not stew, not really long mash and uh, bringing it up to a full boil, trying to get some mechanical maceration and then bringing it down and actually fermenting on the grains so that the yeast can eat through the the husks and actually get to all the shiggies. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, favorite Lion King character in that? In all honesty, I was always a huge, huge fan of uh, Pumbaa, but Ed... Ed, Ethan Beer Reviews, he brought that up. Ed is amazing. And without him, it wouldn't even be close to the same movie. Yeah, I mean, but the only one that really smashed out of a Smasher Pass challenge is Nala. We all know that. 100%. I mean, uh, when she finds Simba and there's Can You Feel the Love Tonight playing in the background, she gives you those eyes, and it's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Lions are sexy. Yeah, smash. Uh, Smash, not pass. No, we are on the Lion King, damn it. Uh, anyway, Paul Ramos, how important is pre-acidifying for kettle sour? Extremely important. There's a couple of things on kettle sour, uh, as well as lactic acid souring, the raw beer souring we should mention. And that is one, pre-acidify. Make sure you get it into an acid range that's going to make the bacteria and yeast very, very happy. And it's going to produce the right types of acids. That's also another way to take care of potential risks from doing a, And that's one of the reasons we like to pitch with acid malt because it kind of it kills two birds. Um, uh, pitching with acid malt uh, gets your lactic acid producing bacteria and takes care of pre-acidification all at the same time. All the acid that's on them is on the outside of the malt so you don't have to crush. Uh, however, if you want any conversion with the grains, then, then you can also crush and get the sugars off of it. So, Stefan yeah. Stoudemire, thank you so much for the super chat. Thanks folks. And you don't always have to say my full name, Stefan. Is it Stefan or Stefan? I would say, yeah, I mean, it's Stefan. All right, while we're waiting for that. I like reading, St- St- I'm, I'll probably say Stoudemire wrong, but I like yeah. reading Stoudemire. It, it rolls off the tongue so well. Uh, all right, so that's what pre-acidifying, even for non-kettle sours, for the raw beer mix firm, for the full mix firm on that, extremely important. Do it. Make sure you get your beer in the right route. Yeah. Keeps your beer safe at uh, below 4. Point, below 4.4 is technically probably okay, but below 4.2 is like the government will say that you're, you're food safe at that point, so you can't get any harmful bacteria in your, your steps. Another really, really, really important thing for kettle sours and lactic acid bacteria is keep them in their temperature range. If lactic acid bacteria drop below their temperature range, and usually in most of them, it's a fairly high temperature range, somewhere between 110 to about 90, they produce very gross acids. It is not fun. They produce a lot of butyric acid at that point. Uh, it, plantarum is the exception, and plantarum's kind of the cheater, the yeah. cheater bacteria. Which is why plantarum is so useful, especially for uh, home brewers to use, <laughs> because... Adam Chumbly, thank you so much for the super chat. Only say Stefan Stoudemire's full name. Deal. De- deal. <laughs> I mean... Uh, Jason, is 9.69... Nah, Enough it, said. That's you did it right. Uh, <laughs> Thank you that for the super is chat. Hugely important. Keep these in the right temperature range. If you don't have temperature control, you use plantarum as uh, your lactobacillus. It's going to save you, so you don't create baby diaper and baby barf. Another extremely important uh, point on this is keep it away from oxygen while the lactic bacteria is working. You need to keep this in a sealed container 
with CO2. If oxygen gets to it, then it will also produce butyric acid and baby barf, as well as uh, it smells and tastes like printer ink. It's a very much similar to acetone. Uh, so keep it away. Keep it away from oxygen at that point in kettle souring. Keep it far away from oxygen in kettle souring. Keep it away, keep it away, keep it, keep it away, away, keep it away now. Yeah, it, exactly. Uh, Caleb Janisich um, is kegging his Count Chocula clone today. Mm, yeah. So that's, that's pretty dope. Very nice. Uh, Nocturnal, I'm pretty sure Tim's beer has finally reached room temperature. I actually super enjoy drinking room temperature sours for the full funkiness. I am not going to drink that one. Uh, that is full of butyric acid. I'm extremely sensitive to it, and I'm not going to do it. I, I don't need barf today. Uh, it was probably fine. Well, actually, no butyric acid is not through bottling process, so it probably wasn't fine before it went into the bottle. But it's okay. That happens in sour beer. Expect failures. Uh, what's different? Caleb, Janicic, 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 Janicic. It's definitely no uh, Stoudemire. Um, that's a beautiful, ah, oh, God, man. I mean, I, it just, it's great to say. Sorry. What's the difference between mixed firm and 100% Brett fermentation in terms of flavors? A lot. Depends on a lot of stuff, though. Yeah. Uh, Brett reacts extremely differently as a 100% fermenter instead of a co-fermenter, mainly because it doesn't have all the byproducts and the yeast itself to eat. Uh, it produces a lot of its fun flavors by uh, ferment. Uh, Excuse me. It's just the wind. Uh, it produces a lot of its fun flavors by actually uh, fermenting out other esters and phenols from the uh, other yeast and bacteria in there, as well as fermenting alcohols and acids that those guys produce. So you can almost get 100% Brett fermentation to be clean, but at the same time, you can make it super funk. It Brett's a monster it's weird it's different you can really control the flavor profile a lot in that so it won't be as complex the basic deal about that it'll be nowhere near as complex and you probably won't have anywhere near the acid production that you would have in a mix firm that you would in 100 percent brett they're fun beers do 100 percent brett be more people should do them yeah uh, a lot of times 100 percent brett beers uh, i mean it depends on the strain of brett but i mean you can get them to taste like pineapple and like they're great ipa mm. fermenters yeah. You can also come across papery and plasticky if you do them wrong. So you just, it's one of those things that uh, if you know what you're doing, they can taste like pretty much anything. And if, depending on how you do your mix, your other mix from beers, then you can, you can make them taste just like hundred percent Brett fermentation, uh, or you have a whole world of possibilities. Yeah. Uh, Brett, that. Brett generally works better in conjunction with other things. Usually. Uh, Nocturnal Brewer thoughts on Philly <laughs> sour yeast versus traditional kettle sour. Uh, when we used Philly Sour, it was really soft. It was lightly tart. In all honesty, I probably would take the time to do a uh, mix firm raw or do a kettle sour rather than use that again. We may not have used it in the best way. It just, for me and my taste, and I love punchy, aggressive sours, it was not aggressive enough for me. It is a really nice, easy easy way for a home brewer to use this okay philly sour let's actually break into this a little bit philly sour is a saccharomyces strain that produces alcohol as well as lactic acid when it ferments so you can use a plain beer yeast to is create it kettle sour i don't know if it's it, think of it, it as saccharomyces it's a yeast 
it's a regular beer yeast. There's no danger of infections. There's no danger of killing it off like there is in lactobacillus because lactobacillus is such a wimp. Lactobacillus gets killed off by the wrong temperature range. Most of them die at like four to eight IBU. So you you even think about putting a hop into a beer, lacto is dead. Um, that varies. Uh, plantarum is actually super weak. I think it's like two IBU or versus something like Del Brucky. It might go up to like six or something like that. I think there's there's one lactobacillus strain that goes up to like twenty IBUs. Yeah. that's the highest. But the most most of them are pretty weak. To have. Most of them are pretty weak. So Philly Sour is pretty darn awesome in the homebrew scale. If you want to create a very lightly tart beer, we were never able to get it to uh, go super punchy sour. And we were, I didn't like the lack of complexity comparatively to uh, Lactobacillus and Saccharomyces. Adam Chumbly says if we say Stefan Stademeyer one more time, he's going to put it on the bingo card. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, Adam, if you send it to Matt, Matt, I'll make sure that it gets it get shared and everyone can play bingo along with us. I mean, it, <laughs> it would be kind of fun to have, uh, you know, Stefan Stoudemire on the bingo card. Ethan's beer. Yeah, yeah. Stefan Stoudemire. <laughs> Ethan's beer reviews. You guys' podcast is an amazing resource of knowledge. Keep up the good work. Rock on. Thank you, Ethan's beer reviews. And we said something that he always wanted to know. So that's yeah. winning. Dragon Ball in the background. You're G-Dang right, Dragon Ball in the background, you, uh, Dragon Ball in the, in the foreground. foreground. Like, it's uh, it's uh, right there. It's all right there. Uh, okay. Um, oh, some <laughs> <laughs> Stefan Sotomayor says, uh, am I a meme now? <laughs> oh, no, you're just on the genus b- uh, bingo card. <laughs> Although, you know, if someone's talented enough to make a genus meme with us, <laughs> I am seeing somebody. <laughs> yeah, okay. Go for it. Do it. Make What's it the space. scissor button on the live chat? Did I, that do I something? Don't, I don't have no idea. Uh... Oh, we can share it. We can create a clip live. What is this? What is this wizardry? Finding stuff out. Okay, mixed firms. Uh, I'm going to go into mixed firms and why barrels are used a whole bunch into this. That's something we haven't talked about. And it's something if you're thinking at home, man, I want to make a real Belgian Lambic, but I don't have barrels. Barrels in mixed firm beers are generally not ever used for the flavor of the barrel. Um, a lot of the time in sour brewing, when you're getting barrels, you're actually getting old or tired barrels. You're getting barrels that don't have the oak flavor left over them anymore because that's not what you need. That's not what you're looking for. A lot of the things that go into mixed firm beer uh, actually really loves to live in the porous nature of the wood. Wood is not a flat, uniform surface. It has a whole bunch of different nooks and crannies in it. And Brett and Lactobacillus and Pedio and uh, Saccharomyces love to get in those nooks and crannies and hang out and affect other beers and start working on a whole bunch of other things. There usually are some wood sugars left over as well that Britannomyces loves to eat and metabolize and, you know, keep hanging out and living in wood. Um, As well as... Barrels allow a small amount of micro-oxygenation. So they do allow... Well, I mean... I know at least one person that does. Whopping. Yeah. But anyway, it allows some uh, micro-oxygenation. So it allows oxygen to flow through the oak through the wood into your beer but not allow the liquid the beer to flow back out 
And that little bit of oxygen is really going to help Britannomyces metabolize other things that are in your beer, change and evolve the flavor around. So what is not necessarily necessary to make good mixed firm beers? It does help with the complexity of these things, but a proper aging time as well as uh, adding in the right malts and the right blends of yeast and bacteria can get you the same thing. The, uh, we have an evolving, uh, um, an evolving story, news story going on with the bingo card and the Stefan Stademeyer. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Do, does everyone have the pair, pair of scissors, or is it just moderators uh, and people that? Don't, I'm guessing it's just moderators and people. I that have it. Yeah, but you're, are you logged into the Genius account or one of ours? No, have I'm logged into mine. No. So you can make clips. Uh, whoa. Someone learn how to make clips and see if it's a cool thing. Yeah, I was gonna say for creating like a highlight show or like uh, a I, the, the scissors are new and I'm like that's blowing my mind. But also, um, Adam Chumbly, full disclosure, lost the bingo link when his phone crashed and he's gonna make a new one. It's been a minute. I could probably find it's in a face because he sent me the link in a Facebook uh, message a long time ago. So we could probably find it. Eric V zero zero. Oh, I wish I were a Stefan Stoudemire. Oh, Stephen. I wish I was that's what a I Stoudemire oh. Stefan. That's if it were what Stoudemire I Stephen. like to be. Everyone would be in love with me. I <laughs> <laughs> love that we sing that at a different time. With... Oh, man. Uh, like, everyone has the scissors. Someone figure this. out how to make clips. Bob uh, the Five and I said this is his favorite show. It's because of our singing ability, and that's the only reason. 100%. We are. We are. Farmers. Bump, 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 bump. Well done. Well done. Ah, yeah. Any opinions on Dark Sours? Super, super nummy. Uh, dark Sours <laughs> are one of the hardest styles to do, though. Dark beers tend to be a little bit acidic already, but it's very hard to marry the sour flavor into the dark flavor really well. Um, a couple of the styles that do it extremely well is the Flanders Red and the Old Brunes. Mm -hmm. uh, that's uh, the Savile Brown. Yeah, Sour this Brown. Dark accidental sour. Uh, so uh, it's hard to match. Those two are amazing. Uh, the old brune does rely on, on a, well, both of them rely on pediococcus for some extra uh, fermentation flavor. Old brunes generally are defined as having a little bit of vinegariness to them as well, a little bit of acetobacter, but it needs just a touch. Keep it restrained. Do not make vinegar out of that. They're beautiful, beautiful styles. I love them. And in fact, my favorite style of sour is the Flanders Red. Uh, now, that being said, you don't see very many sour porters or sour stouts out there. And it, again, it's very Tart hard. Tart Darkness is the best one mm -hmm. and the tallest one. Yeah. I, bourbonic Plague for me. I absolutely yeah, that's really good love too. Bourbonic Plague. We had a question earlier about uh, the bet. So we, in general, the right specialty malts, but also the right, uh, or in general, the right base malts, but also the right specialty malts to use to make a yeah. correct dark sour. And that's one of the things that um, you got to take into account that roast factor because roast and sour often are going to clash. And so mm -hmm. this is one of those situations where I'd actually recommend using a lot more middle malts to kind of build a darker profile and then just to turn it into the darkness a little bit, like a much smaller amount of an actual roast type malt, probably a carafa, um, something that can, it's not going to add bitterness. It's not going to add 
a bunch of like smoky, burnt kind of flavors. It's just going to turn the beer dark uh, while letting you know that it's got that, that roast flavor without smacking you over the face with roast flavor. Yeah. Uh, that's also my suggestion on that. Get your it's a little dark, acetone Get your dark color from debittered black malts. Not terrible. Okay. Like not great. Chocolate wheat, black prince, carafa. Yeah. Those are gonna be your friends. Something it's debittered. Got a middle. No big Might be a little baby barfy. Roasty, no big acidic. Yep. <laughs> It's not no, it's cheesy, not baby barfy. Yeah, uh, it's not butyric. Well, soy saucy. Very acetone in there. Yeah, acetone is the first thing I got on the nose, and then it's soy saucy on the uh, on the palate. Super super high. Oof, I mean that's like right up in the top of the. Not horrible. It is very hard to match. You cannot just take a dark beer and sour. Now that being said, you can sour portions of dark beers. Uh, honestly, most dry Irish stouts do it does have Britannomyces in it. Uh, and a little bit of that acid can help pop chocolate flavors. Yeah. And in my opinion, that's that's what you're trying to achieve is kind of like that lemon and coffee kind of flavor or even a nice kind of tart chocolate flavor coming out of it. Really restraining the dark flavor coming out of that and pushing out softer acids and not bitter acids. Florida Joe, Philly, Philly tastes like red apple skin. Uh, I can see that a little bit. I can see that. When we use the Philly sour, and keep in mind we haven't used it a ton, so we haven't like perfected our Philly sour, you know, brewing. Um, and so there's probably better ways to do it than we've done it so far. But the times that we've used it, we've gotten like a weird profile that wasn't. You can't put it on a clean beer, so it doesn't have that clean flavor. It's not clean flavor with lactic acid production. It's like. If, if you had different strains of Philly Sours, so if you had different strains like you do with yeast production where you have like your Belgian and you have your Hefeweizen that produce different esters and you could choose the right Philly Sour that was neutral and then produce lactic acid, that'd be one thing and it'd be very, very usable. But to our effect, we haven't gotten a neutral base off of Philly Sour and the funkiness always competes with what we're trying to do when we're making sours anyway. And it's just as easy just to co-pitch, have lactic acid producing bacteria, 12 to 24 hours later, throw a, a yeast right on top of it and then rock and roll. So. Uh, I personally, for how long I've been making sours, not having something like Philly Sour available, it's much easier for me to get the flavor profile <clears throat> I want using uh, lac excuse me, lactic acid bacteria and a yeast. And it feels far more controllable. I mean, it is far more controllable because you only have one yeast when you're using Philly. Uh, I like it because I can feel like I have a lot more control in the flavors that I can create that way. Now, being, coming from a standpoint of somebody who's never made sours before, I mean, I've been making sours probably for about 12 years at home. Uh, it was something hard to find on the market when I started home brewing, so I just made it myself. Anyway, beyond the point. Uh, for somebody who's never made sours and is stepping into the sour world, Philly Sour is probably an amazing place to start and just kind of get your feet wet, get used to working with something that's different, uh, compensating for some of those sour flavors uh, coming out of it and all of that kind of good stuff. I will also say, when we tried to repitch Philly Sour uh, just to see the experiment, what happens when you repitch it, is it still going to work right? One second. 
Bless you. Excuse me. Uh, when we tried to repitch Philly Sour, it produced zero lactic acid. That may have been the way that we fermented it. It may have been the repitch for it. We got absolutely zero lactic acid off of uh, our repitch of Philly Sour. It was extremely disappointing. Um, now, that being said, might have been the way that we treated the yeast all the way down uh, the line through the uh, first fermentation and second fermentation. We didn't allow it to fully shine. Uh, we have experimented with a little bit, but like I said, uh, I've been doing it long enough that at a point it's harder for me to switch over to using Philly Sour than it is to switch everything I've been doing the way that I've been doing it before. I also like to throw a different yeast in for different things, you know. Uh, I love throwing French Saison in, throwing a Colchis 3470 uh, into uh, some beers to create a more cleaner profile. Uh, playing with some of the Belgian or English strains to pop some fruitiness out in certain places on certain sour beers. So personally, I just love the flexibility of the co-ferment rather than the single. But Philly's a great yeast, and people have made some really good uh, beers off of it. So, All right, we are technically open right now, so if you got any last questions, get them out. If you haven't yet, like the video. At one point, we had 95-ish people watching, and so... Um, we are we are down on our likes numbers. We're only at 43 I likes. I have a question from one of our Australian viewers who never catches us live, so he ah. sent me a question on Discord. Now, yeah. Tuli, I have a question I haven't been able to Google to find out. I'm dry hopping an IPA slash pale ale after a hot Voss ferment. I notice sometimes we get a very nasty vegetal taste in the product that comes uh, that sometimes doesn't uh, disappear. And if it's been there for so long, the beard is... And if it does, it's been there for so long that the beer is too old regardless. Is the temperature that is causing it, is it the temperature that is causing it or the Voss becoming active again and trying to biotransform the oils? Funnily enough, the only time it hasn't happened is when I dry hopped with Nelson Savin hops and it came out perfectly. Um, any advice? So yeah, it kind of depends. It could be uh, if you are mixing up vegetal flavors with a combination of some of the flavors you're getting the hops and diacetyl that could come from the Voss reactivating. Um, and, uh, um, basically getting a little bit of hop creep, uh, usually ferment Voss and then dry hop after fermentation appears to finish yeah, a warm dry hop can have some effect, but really it's not going to be vegetal flavor unless you're using a lot of hops and that hop matter or the hops are oxidized first of all. So they could be like cheesy. That could be what you're getting. Uh, or that, uh, the hop matter itself is giving you like a, a bite. Um, that could be from the, from the plant matter, either hops being oxidized before you, they, they go in. Um, or, uh, the other option is it's just from hop creep, but if it's Voss and you're still at 38 Celsius, which I'm going to guess is pretty warm. Mm. Um, then uh, hop creep shouldn't cause diacetyl unless you crash it very, very shortly after um, and don't give the Voss time to clean up any diacetyl that might be produced. 100 degrees is hot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So hopefully that answers the question to somewhat. I would try either cold dry hopping uh, if you're worried about the temperature uh, or I would just make sure you get super, super fresh hops if that is part of the problem. Uh, Hop creep almost sounds more right because Nelson Sauvin didn't do it and that's lower total oils. It also doesn't have glycosides in it uh, like some other hops do or as many glycosides that can be um, broken down and cause uh, your yeast to reactivate. Uh, Patrick, Sandy, I had a question back at the... 
back at the top. Oh, no, I'm already there. Black or white Koji Sour? Thoughts? Any chance you'll ever brew one? Um, it'd be fun. Make one. Send it to us. Make both. Send it to us. Yeah. Uh, we haven't messed around with Koji very much. Uh, not as much as we should have. Come to basically. Muscle Festival next year, please. Mm. When is that? Where is it? What's going on? Is it is it right now? Is it soon? Going to use monk fruit sugar soon. Can I use any monk fruit sugar products, or should it uh, contain uh, erythritol? Should it not contain erythritol? We actually use uh, um, monk fruit sugar extract because it doesn't have as much stuff in it that can be fermented. It's mostly non-fermentable. But if you use monk fruit sugar, it's got it's got all the stuffs in it. So. I wouldn't worry too much about it. Um, I've been loving my IPAs after switching to keg dry hopping only. I like to biotransform dry hop, but then I like to do that in a closed or pressury kind of situation to get all the stuff in there. And then if I ever do a double dry hop, then I do both. Maximize all the flavors you can get. Uh, plastic? Anything soft and porous. Yeah. That you cannot boil. Yes. I mean, wood is fine because you can throw boiling hot water in wood and kill everything. Yes. All, uh, the, all the bugs that sour stuff can get murdered with fire. So. Everything. Uh, all of it dies uh, about 115 and over. Honestly, it all dies at 120, 120 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, freedom units? Freedom units. French fries. 120 fry, uh, fry units. Yeah, French fry units. Um, French fries, the most American thing ever. Mm, says it right in the name. I mean, it really does, but I honestly, now that you got me saying that, I could really go for the Belgian-style pomme frites, the double-fried French fry. Oh, my oh, God, yeah. so good, so good. Anyway, I digress. French fries, better than guys. Um, eh, most of the time. I mean, if Ryan Reynolds is right there. Then. Oh, wow, okay. I said most of the time. Whatever. I would also take you, Jack. Anyway, oh, let's go. Uh, yeah, is that right now? Anything that touches, anything that's soft and porous, that touches at least Britanniumyces, is soured yeah. for life. Don't put clean beers on that because the Brett will live in the soft, porous nature of everything. Uh, most uh, lab bacteria, lactic acid-producing bacteria especially lactobacillus are huge 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 weenies you can kill them off with a 20 ibu or less which is almost every single one of your normal beers so you really don't have to worry a lot about the uh lacto uh the lactobacillus the lactic uh, acid producing bacteria in that one brett is your biggest deal if you cannot kill it with fire then you cannot kill brett in a porous situation it doesn't matter how good your cleaners are if it is not hot enough if you cannot kill it with fire that is sour only yep and if you do that if you have great practices like that great sanitation practices you can have clean and dirty and uh, mixed beers fermenting right next to each other and never have any problems fun fact our live stream is longer than the movie shrek 2 apparently well I mean, you had it playing before we started. Yeah, so but not by much. Not by much. Not my bad. It's already back to the, to the screen. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Kill it with fire. If you can't kill it with fire, it's sour for life. That's your best deal. And anything that can't be killed with fire is generally cheap enough that it 
it's real easy to have separate equipment for yeah. that. Anything that's that can't be killed with fire, you could probably you probably just want to kill it with fire anyway for the fun factor, and then get a new one. Because setting things on fire is fun. It's so fun. Kill it with fire. All right, I think we're all caught up on questions. Unless anybody wants to throw a last little whatever in there, um, give us a thumbs up. Check out our Instagram. Do some other stuff. Do all those great things, and uh, yeah. Uh, somebody oh, turn off the stream at the end. I don't have to get up. Deliver tacos. Tacos. Actually, I, I have some beer at home. Okay, well, so. And we'll see. But. We'll see you next week because we do this. We're back on doing it every week. Oh, the important thing too. Uh, the podcasts are going up now. Uh, yeah. We confused our podcast guy because he he was still on our secret live streams that we were doing in January because we still did them. But since it was dry January, we figured that we wouldn't publicize them. Uh, anyway, they're back up. They're online. You can probably find them all now. I don't know if he got through all of them. He had a little lineup to do, but they're going to be back up. They're going to be out and easy to find. So. Um, do it. Does Logan still do videos with us? I haven't seen him in a while. Um, go on to Dorsal Fishing, the YouTube channel. That's where Logan's doing videos right now. And then uh, just comment, spam comments saying, hey, go do a Genus video. Also, he has been in every single one of our videos. You just have to find him. Yeah, we uh, hide he, him. We hide him very well. It's like a Where's Waldo, but it's Where's Logan. Yep. Yeah. So that's it. Thanks for tuning in. Click all the likes. Click all the follows, do the fun stuffs, and we'll see you next week. Green is done. Noise.